0: Welcome to another episode of Arte Labore, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. Another disappointing weekend for Blackburn Rovers as they were pumped 4-1 at the Hawthorns, losing to West Brom. Um, a bit of group therapy for you on this Monday afternoon. I'm joined by Ryan Hildred, as always, to try and break down what was a very terrible evening in the Midlands. Uh, Ryan, another bad, bad defeat for Blackburn Rovers.
1: Do we have to talk about the football? Can we just talk about something else? Like how? The weather. How?
0: How is your New Year's resolutions
1: going? Uh, to be fair, I'm doing dry January and it's going okay so far. I did it last year and I'm succeeding so far. Obviously tested to the limit on Saturday. I was going to say that that's
0: even more time. impressive if you do go back to talking about the
1: football. <laughs> but uh, apart from that, I'm fine. Uh, I thought it didn't look one degrees outside until I just went on a run. And it is one degree outside. <laughs> I went to walk the dog about half an hour ago just before
0: uh we sat down to record and I've just about thawed out. It is freezing.
1: Absolutely. But uh yeah, apart from that, I'm good. I think to-
0: we put yeah. I think we've put this off as long as possible. I think we're gonna have to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, let's football just now, go for we? it.
1: Let's pull the plaster.
0: Okay, right. It wasn't very good. Let's let's first and foremost, let's go for the obvious an- analysis. Um Rovers came into the game knowing They were playing a West Brom side, very good at home, very good at getting their noses in front and seeing games out, very good at set pieces. Um, Blackburn Rovers famously not very good at defending, not very good at defending set pieces. And were okay at the start, had a bit of the ball, nothing too threatening. And then just gave away a horrendous, horrendous goal, schoolboy defending, long throw from Darnell Furlong. It bounces in the six-yard box about a yard away from the goalkeeper who doesn't react. Dom Hyam doesn't win the header. I think Tronstad and Hayden Carter are in there as well. No one wins the header. And there's Fellows um, at the back post. who, get, In fact, Fellows gets in front of Tronstad doesn't need to head it into the back of the net. And it's just an absolute cluster of errors because it's so, so soft. You would be really disappointed. I play Sunday League and I would be very disappointed if we conceded that goal on a Sunday because the defenders have got to win the header first and foremost, of course they do. But even your goalkeeper, I know we've spoken about how poor he's been coming off his line, so maybe he should just stay on his line. But that's not even... We're not talking about him coming 12 yards out to claim the ball. It's its literally four yards out from goal where it bounces. And he just doesn't react. And I'm not blaming it just on him because the defenders should deal with it beforehand. But it is just a, a goal that is so symptomatic of the passive defending... We are seeing from Blackburn Rovers, whether it's against Cambridge, whether it's against a very good West Brom side, whether it's against Rotherham United, it just doesn't seem to matter at the moment who the opposition are. Blackburn Rovers are going to give you a two goal head start because they've conceded 10 goals. uh, Sorry, they've conceded two or more goals in
1: 10 of their last 11 games. This is a huge concern. It's massive, Elliot. Um, I think since the end of November, you know, when we've been on this run of form, um, the layer upon layer of defensive frailty that that we are subjecting ourselves to is, is a massive concern. And it's not like we're playing defences that are playing Pat Gamble at the back or, or lads that aren't available. This is the first choice centre-back pairing that we're talking about here. And every single one of those goals on on Saturday, as we'll probably go into some detail about, were completely avoidable. Uh, and, and absolutely shambolic, um, and four goals conceded away from home again—just, uh, just absolutely disgraceful. I'm really worried about the defence. Really, really worried. It's the bread and butter of any championship team. It's the bread and butter of any successful championship team. And when you're on the runner form that we are, and this is a rinse and repeat statement that I'm going to make—you know, when we've gone away from home in the previous game or the previous home game to that—when you're in this type of runner form. You have to keep it tight. you have to be solid. You have to not give the opposition an an early head start. Eleven minutes. you know Darnell Furlong, I was just saying to you off um before we went live with this. We all know Darnell Furlong's got a long throw in. We all know what he brings to the table, yet we're defending like it's a surprise, and it comes into the box. No one wins the first contact. Walstadt isn't proactive off his line. Tronstad isn't following the marker at the back stick. Take your pick out of those three. Just an absolutely horrendous goal to concede. And from that moment on, it's game over. You know, 1-0 down to a Carlos Corbyn side at the Hawthorns. It's absolutely game over at that point. And I think all Rovers fans knew that. And what a depressing turn of events that is at 11 minutes into a championship game of football. As a fan, you're thinking it's game over. But it's the absolute God truth. And something's got to change. Something's got to give. Some people have got to stand up and be counted because... These goals that we're conceding at the moment are not as a result of good play from the opposition. They are as a result of our frankly shambolic defending. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is complete ineptitude
0: of Blackburn Rovers to give these goals away. If they were, you know, they've been poor defensively all season, obviously, given they've conceded 52 goals, which is the most in the Championship. But when they were playing Ipswich, Leeds, Southampton, Sunderland, when they were in good form, you could say, okay, they're getting cut open by very, very good players, good passages of play. They're not taking the chances. They are so easy to play against at the moment. And as I say, concede two or more in 10 of your last 11. That is it's like a quarter of the season that we're talking about. That That is a team that does not know how to defend their box. And it comes down to aggression. It comes down to intensity. And they are just not doing it at the moment. And quite frankly... We can talk about inexperience all you want and there are a lot of valid points to be made about the lack of experience and the depth of this squad. But it is the most experienced error of the pitch and across Hayden Carter, Dom Hyam, Scott Wharton and Callum Britton at the weekend, that was nowhere near good enough for the for the levels that they have set themselves since coming into Blackburn Rovers or breaking into the first team. That That, that is a fact. I mean, the second goal is a an error from Dom Hyam. It's a terrible header, loose... Um, and and Brandon Thomas-Sante picks up on it. It's a really, really good finish. I do want to stress that. I think it's a fantastic strike into the corner. Again, Callum Britton, are you intense enough? Are you tight enough? Are you closing the ball down? I think he could get tighter, but it's a great finish taken off in the way. And The players they do have that obviously got any seniority, and certainly the players in defence, are just way out of form. I think if you look at Dom Hyam, he has not looked anything like the player he was last season or earlier in the season since he came back from injury i don't know if he's been rushed back a little bit i don't know if it's been too much too soon but he's only played two games in the last two weeks because he obviously had a, the weekend off against rotherham um after he got suspended at hull didn't look great against cambridge in truth and didn't and look terrible against um against west brom it just looks if anyone's got any sort of pace running at it He looks really, really vulnerable. And that's just not Dom Domheim that we're used to. I think Hayden Carter's probably had more poor games than good games this season, if I'm being truthful. And I am a big or a what? Well, last season, I was a huge Hayden Carter fan. I thought he was absolutely fantastic from the turn of the year until the summer. And I thought he started the season okay as well. But there's been a lot of games this season where I've come away thinking he was really poor, particularly against any sort of striker with pace. I go, George Hurst against Ipswich, he got run ragged. Um, against Leicester, against Vardy, he really struggled. Against Southampton, he struggled. Against um, West Brom, he struggled against Brandon Thomas Asante. Huddersfield, um, Bergzog the striker, caused him a lot of issues. And for someone who can play fullback as well as centre-back, it doesn't make sense to me how he's, he's so poor defending 1v1 in wide areas because he's someone that has played on the right side of a back three, and obviously played at full-back at the weekend, and looked pretty decent. But individuals are really... And I'm not just picking on those two at all, but they were the poorest of the lot at the weekend. Um, the third goal is a little bit unlucky with the way it bounces off the heels of Dom Hyam, but it's not unlucky in the sense that they were that Alex Mowat's given so much time on the edge of the box to put a delivery in. It hits Wallstead and then Hyam and then goes in the back of the net. And as I say, they've, they've got experience in that defence, but quite frankly, they got bullied by West Brom.
1: When you're in this situation, you need leaders, um, you need people to stand up, you need people to help. And we were already losing uh, or missing Smodic, uh, obviously, in the first half or in that game, sorry, with the illness that he had. Harry Pickering as well, don't underestimate his contribution in a leadership sense with what he's done over the last few years. Um, he wasn't available. And we've just let another leader go to Ipswich. So we need the leaders that remain to stand up and be counted. And actually, for the record, I thought Dom Hyam should have started the season as club captain. You know, that's how highly I thought of him. That's how highly I think of him, actually. And uh, we should expect better from Dom Hyam. And for whatever reason, I think you're right with the injury stuff, because I think players go through a preseason and then build up for a reason because it's all about momentum. It's all about confidence. And we've seen this with Lewis Travis, actually, when he got that knee injury away at Newcastle a few seasons ago, that really stunted him as a player as well and, and his contributions on the pitch. So that's one side of the coin. The other side, when you're in this type of situation, for me, it's back to basics. So... Hyam for me, is heading that ball as a result of the way that JDT wants to play. He wants to retain the possession. He wants to build out from the back. He wants to do these things. We know that on a Sunday league pitch or at other levels of professional football, or indeed a different manager with different principles, Dom Hyam is probably heading that ball 30 yards away up the pitch. He makes an absolute hash of it. So that's mistake one. Callum Britton, the backing off, the backing off, the backing off. You just telling the lad to shoot, and it's just when a, you've got that, a strike... that, that,
0: that bit of defending from Callum Britton and the lack of proact- being proactive, it's just a lack of confidence. I think. I think that is literally symptomatic Absolutely. of a team drained of confidence.
1: I think you're right, and I think a confident Callum Britton probably shows him onto his weaker foot, or gets him out of you know forces him out onto the byline or, or something along those lines. I think we see something different, but. Just to back off and, and let him shoot when you're already one 0 down. Um, you know, Britain's not held himself in glory there as well. So, yeah, terrible in that regard. The third goal, um, I mean, it's rinse and repeat. Like when you're two 0 down in a game, um, short corner routine, yes. But who's tracking Alex mauer Who's responding to Alex mauer None of he them look respond. like.
0: Like it's one thing to get no, response. no one goes out to him.
1: Where's the sprint? Where's someone throwing their body at it? Where's someone recognising the danger? Just no response whatsoever. And, you know, everything comes from that shot. Because we've not closed him down, because we've not responded to the danger, because we've not spotted the danger in the first place, everything that follows from that point, yes, of course, it's unlucky, the way it bounces off Walsh, off Haim, and then into the goal. But again, a situation of our own making, because first and foremost, Alex Mowat shouldn't be having a shot like that. And to be 3-0 down um what was it within 30, 30 minutes was it what minutes
0: was it? the third one when
1: 33 it? minutes i mean disgraceful absolutely disgraceful you know this is not we're not a league 1 or league 2 side we are a championship side you know we're told that this is the most competitive division in the world it is for the record rovers are a competitive team in this division to be 3-0 down after 33 minutes with the three goals in the manner that they were I didn't go to the game on Saturday for personal reasons, and I nearly did go to the game with Archie. I just feel sorry for every single one of those fans that were in the Hawthorns on Saturday because it was game over at 1-0. It absolutely was game over at 2-0. God knows what they were thinking at 3-0. I probably would have gone into Birmingham or something and done something different because that was just nothing short of of embarrassing to to be be behind in the manner that we were. Um, And just... We need more and and we should expect more from the team at this moment in time.
0: I think the worst thing about all that, Ryan, which you're absolutely spot on with your analysis, is, is the fact it was utterly predictable. It was utterly predictable that Rose were going to concede very early on from a set piece and then just be up against it. And I thought a large part of the problem at the weekend was the fact that without Sam Smodics, they didn't have enough runners in behind. And very early on, Rovers did... Jon said they started brightly. I think bright's probably a little bit kind, but they had a lot of the ball. They were okay. They were in the game. But it was all safe. It was all, you know, very safe, very, very... Not, not hurting West Brom. They were quite happy with them in front of him. They weren't causing any problems. They were just knocking it around pretty lethargically. And because they didn't have runners in behind, West Brom just went, all right, no worries. We'll just step 10 yards up the pitch. No problem. We'll just play on the halfway line because you're not running in behind us. You've got no sort of conviction in your runs and your passing. So we're just going to step 10 yards up the pitch. We're going to press you incredibly high and you're going to make mistakes playing out because you're low on confidence. And I thought a huge part of the issue was people not going in behind. And Sam Smodic is so great at doing that from deep. We've seen so many goals where... You know, he doesn't play as a striker, he's not a number nine, he plays as a number 10 as in, in a more withdrawn role. But so often, how have we seen him him getting onto balls over the top or him running through one-on-one with the goalkeeper? And that's because he makes those runs in behind. And I thought they really missed that in an attacking sense, which then has a knock-on effect of how the opposition play and then impacts you defensively because you get impressed whenever you try and play out from the back. They didn't make any changes at half-time. They, did, they were brighter at the start of the second half and, and Jake Garrett, who I thought was the only player to come out with any sort of credit whatsoever from the game. If we're going to talk about a very minute positive, I thought he showed balls in the second half. I thought he showed leadership qualities because he actually did look riled up. He did look like he wanted to make a difference and he did produce a real good moment of quality with a lovely shimmy, good bit of footwork and a great finish. And then it's like, okay, 3-1, game on. Well, not game on, but there's a chance. They'd already had a really good opportunity through Harry Leonard, who'd scuffed a really good opportunity inside the box. But then seconds later, it goes to 4-1. And, and you know, Thomason threw on Gallagher. He threw on JRC once Garrett makes it through one And then it's game over again. I mean, it's probably game over anyway, but the fourth goal is just as poor. It's a, a second-face set piece clipped into the, the back post. Furlong gets above Tronstad. Okay, you'd like to win the first header, but you can accept sometimes players are taller and, and better in the air than others. But if you there's a there's an angle, a reverse angle from behind the goal, and as soon as that ball gets clipped up and Furlong jumps, Thomas Asante is on the move. He's actually on the sen- he's on the penalty spot, and he's already making his run across the front post to get to the ball. He's anticipating it. He's alive. He's being intense, and Carter's with him doesn't react, doesn't pass him on to Dom Haim, who doesn't see him, doesn't react. And it's a really easy finish in front of the goalkeeper into the roof of the net. And all of a sudden, any momentum you've gained from a decent start to the second half is completely blown out of the water. You've just completely punctured any momentum and it's game over. And, and the final half an hour was just, you know, it's just apathetic. You know, we just had, you know, gallows humour from the away end, singing, we've had a shot. Um, West Brom fans returning with uh, you've had a shot now f off home, which I thought was uh, quite amusing. And it was just it was just boring the last half an hour. West Brom could have had five or six in truth; they could have had more goals. And Rovers just didn't have anything, any sort of fight. And it was just a really, really disappointing second half in the way that they they almost threatened a little bit and then just 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 undermined themselves yet again.
1: I'll go back to the Jake Garrett goal first, because I don't want that to get lost in in the apathetic performance, as you say, because we've spoken about Jake Garrett on the pod, um, you know, a few times actually, particularly during this run of form, that why have we not seen more of Garrett and Travis? You know, they are words that have come out of both of our mouths. And I think Garrett, particularly in the Carabao Cup, has shown himself to be someone that can Really hurt teams in the final third. I particularly remember when uh, he came on against Stoke away from home. I thought he looked really lively then. Uh, And obviously he was really unlucky at home to Watford with the chance that he had in the second half. So I'm delighted to see Garrett get the goal. His first league goal for Rovers, isn't it? And you can tell it meant a lot to him in in a performance where we're 3-0 down he's still wanting to celebrate in front of the fans at at 3-1. So that was nice to see Garrett get the goal. And as you say, it was a really lovely goal. And actually, there's going to be a big role for him to play uh, towards the end of the season, I hope, uh, without Lewis Travis. So um, it's an indictment isn't it on the rest of them that how old's Garrett 20 21 is he I can't remember how old he is Mm, about that
0: 22 I want to say
1: 22 you know still a young lad certainly in terms of championship minutes and and experience for him to be the one that's grabbing the ball uh, the game by the balls and, and by the scruff of the neck so to speak that's an indictment on the rest of them so I just want to go back to the goal because I think it was a lovely goal and and, and He's great. 20,
0: by the way. I've done him a disservice 20. by two
1: years. Yeah, I thought he was about 20. So I don't want this, that to get lost in what is truly a, a dismal day. But you're right. What is the most Blackburn Rovers thing to do? I've been there in other away games when we get it back to 2-1 and then it goes to 3-1 and things like that. You never know in football, as much as 3-1, I agree with you, is game over still. And I probably didn't fancy us to come back to 3-3. You never know. You absolutely never know. And going towards those Blackburn fans, if 3-1 becomes 3-2, when you're only a goal away in a game of football, then you can get yourself uh, level and and obviously nab a, a very unlikely point. The defending and the goal for me just shows the difference between a side low on confidence and possibly not understanding their defensive roles at the moment versus a team that very deliberately play that ball after the corner, back out to that wide position. And as you say, Thomas Asante knows that once that header's come back in, it's going into that area that I can attack. That, for me, just smells of Corbyn and the team absolutely knowing that with that style of move, once that ball is pinged out on that diagonal, get on your bike in the centre of the box. And our defenders just haven't got a clue what's coming, plain and simple. Carter's too slow, Hyam's too slow, far too easy for Thomas Asante just to obviously poke that ball in. And if it wasn't game over before, it absolutely was at that point. And a real shame that the way that the rest of that game went and, you know, probably the only positive is it didn't become 5 or 6-1 because that truly would have been an embarrassment.
0: Yeah, and it could have easily. that was That was for a lack of... Finishing, you know, Daryl has a really good opportunity. Pippa put one just of the post as well. So, it, it really could have easily been 5-6-1, or six, one, which really would have seen a, an even bigger meltdown than we've seen from the fan base since the game. They've conceded 52 goals this season, Ryan. That is the worst record in the Championship and, quite frankly, abysmal in the 27 games. They've conceded nearly two goals a game on average for, you know, over half a season, which is really, really poor. They did get half an hour into the legs of Sam Gallagher and Joe Rankin-Costello, which again, very, very small positives. Uh, But West Brom could have had more. I want to ask you about um, Yondal Thomason because I think that's been interesting. He's come in for a little bit of stick for his demeanour on the touchline in that second half, particularly where he's pretty much just slouched in his chair, not on the touchline. And and there was a moment at at 4-1 where Thomason's just sat down And Corbrand's on the edge. He's actually out of his technical area, berating his players, trying to inspire them, trying to instruct them. Now, I'm not for one second saying that every single manager has to be on the touchline shouting and screaming. And in fairness to Thomason, most of the time, he usually does stand on the touchline for great periods of the game. And that's what almost makes it more noteworthy in my head. I do think there was a bit of apathy almost from him that the game was gone and it was 4-1 and the game was finished. And I do think that played into his mannerism a little bit in that second half because normally he is there, normally he is on the sidelines trying to instruct. But it was notable how little we saw of him in the game. He didn't go and clap the away fans after the game either, I'm sure down to frustration rather than a lack of respect or anything like that. Again, something he normally does. But it, it just—it just was notable to me. It was something I picked on up on the time at the time. He then got asked about it by uh, Radio Lancashire, and it just feels a bit prickly. It just felt—I say—it just felt like Jon almost believed that the game was done, which it was done at four-one. But you never know in football, and, and certainly there's there's something to be said for the optics and the way you lose a game. You know, if Rovers had lost four-one, but maybe got a goal back for 4-2 and actually just shown a bit of life in that second half. We'd be saying, well, it's easy to play at 4-1 down, but at least they gave it a go. Whereas that last half an hour was a bit of a non-event, certainly from a Blackburn perspective. West Brom had a few chances. So I'm intrigued to see what you, what you think about this because I, I put a story out this morning with his quotes and I got some responses saying, you know, he, 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 he he's not bothered and, and that, you know, he's given up. And the other half of the responses was, this doesn't matter. It's not relevant. Um, I don't care if he stands or he sits. And it's a genuinely interesting point. So I'd be be interested as a Blackburn fan to get get your view on that.
1: I think he is bothered because that's why he was sat down, because I think the apathy that you described there, I think he was feeling some of the stuff that the Rovers fans were probably feeling at that point. You know, were away fans stood up all the time or were you sat on your seat? You know, I've been at away games where... The performance is so shite that I sit on my seat because you're just like, what the hell am I watching? So, you know, I, I I do think he cares. and And I think that's why the response was. But what I will say is it's quite telling for me. And there is definitely a correlation that it's January and we're getting this type of response from JDT. I remember being quite worried about him towards the end of the season with some of his demeanor and some of the things that were coming out of his mouth. Because I don't know if there are things going off that going on off the pitch or conversations being had or things coming to light in JDT's mind, which are shifting and changing this project, as he calls it, all the time. And the tools that he thinks he's got for the job are different to the tools that he's actually got for the job. And there's a reason why we've loaned Lewis Travis out to Ipswich. There's a reason, as we're probably going to talk about on the pod, why Sam Gallagher is generating interest, because he's essentially having to generate his own tools from the tools that he's already got. So I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes that are ultimately fueling his uh, demeanour and fueling his emotion at the moment on the pitch. When you're looking at a performance like that, I absolutely agree with you. J.D.T. is not the type of manager that I'd put in the bracket of Liam Resenia, Carlos Corbera and Mikhail Arteta that are up and down that touchline, shouting all the time, really animated, moving all the time. He's a bit calmer. He is a presence on the touchline and he's given the instructions in a different way, albeit less animated than those two. So I think it was quite telling that he was on the bench. But I think he'd literally reached a point of, right, we get it back to 3-1, one, fourth one goes in, what the hell? I think it was literally a what the hell type response uh, as a result of all these things on and off the pitch going on at the moment. One thing I will say, it's absolutely on him to sort this out. So don't get Dom Hayam attempting neat headers across his back line and then Thomas Asante then obviously going through on goal and, and getting that second goal change something, do something different. Don't come out to you in the press and say, we're going to play the same way. No, he has to recognise the situation we're in. That goals against column is a red beacon going awooga, awooga at the moment. And he's seemingly doing nothing about it. So he does need to do something about it. And it's not as a result of him sitting or standing on the bench. It's the tactical instructions that he needs to employ on the pitch.
0: Yeah, I can't, I completely agree. I thought it was very interesting. I asked him out after the game. I said, um, how motivated do you feel to turn this form around? And his response was about the January transfer window. So whether that Jon does have a habit yeah. in fairness of answering the question he wants to answer rather than the question you've asked. So I don't want to read too much into that. But if he is answering the question I've asked, it's basically saying if I don't get what I want in January, then, I'm, <laughs> then I don't feel very positive about what I've got to work with, which is not the yeah. first time he's things of that nature in fairness, is it either? So that that was interesting. I, I, my next question was very much going to be on about, is it time for a change of approach, shape, time to abandon some principles? That was what I asked Jan as well after the match and put the story out this morning where he, he basically, I said I said to him, just so, so people know how this way, I went, do you need to change formation? Do you need to abandon some principles just to shore up this defence and make sure you just stop leaking goals in the way that you are? And he asked me how the goals went in. I said set pieces, and he said, it's not that difficult, is it? So basically, in his mind, he's putting it more down to individual errors, putting it more down to just not defending your box well enough rather than a structural or a tactical thing. And whilst that was right for the West Brom game, I do think that's a fair point to make. Let's look at the bigger picture. They've conceded 52 goals in 27 games. There is clearly more than individual errors and bad set piece defending that is making Blackburn Rovers leak in fact hemorrhage goals at the moment so whether it is going to a back 5 for a few games just to build i'm not saying play a back 5 forever because i do think rose have got a good style of play but just go to a back 5 play three in midfield play smodics up front in a 2 play 352 for a bit get some confidence back in these players because you've got a squad where your most senior players are bang out of form and you've got children around them basically kids that not trying to be disrespectful, they've got your very young players that are not ready to be subjected to this level of game time, in most cases, who who look lost. Harry Leonard looked lost on Saturday. He did not look, you know, he got schooled by two very experienced, very physical championship centre-backs. And that's all right when you're 12th in the league and you're in you know april and see there's not a lot left to play for so you sort of developing players. rovers are in a very bad run of form and the 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 young players look really lost they look really unsure of themselves and low on confidence and the more senior players like dom hyam for example are just bang out of form so you you've got to build confidence one way or another and the way to do that in my opinion is to change the formation, go to a five-three-two, three-five-two, whatever you want to call it, and just try and build some confidence back. Coupled with some of the senior players that are going to come back, with Hedges at the end of the month, um, Dolan's not a million miles away, you've had Pairs, you've had Gallagher, you've had Joe Rankin-Costello that will hopefully make an impact in these next few weeks. That is what I think they need to do personally to try and get themselves back on track.
1: I've got some sympathy, a smidge of sympathy for what he's saying with, you know, some of the the things that he's not had available this season. Um, Sam Gallagher, I stand by the fact, brings so much defensively for this side with his work rate in that final third. Um, Ainsley Pairs versus Leo Wolstedt, You know, we have reflected on some of the monumental errors that Leo Wolstedt has made in recent games. Um, So there are some elements of sympathy that I've got. Um, Sam Smodic not available uh, on Saturday against West Brom, for example. Big talisman for this side. And and as you say, someone like Harry Leonard, who's only got three or four league goals, looking all at sea. So I have got an element of sympathy um, with that. But what is the point in having Sam Smodic as top scorer if we're just going to concede at the rate we do? There's two very fundamental things going against Rovers here. Uh, if we concede more than the opposition, we lose. That's the fundamental of football. And we have got this inability to come back in games. So we have to be tighter. We have to not as concede as, as many as we do because it's two damning things going against Rovers at the moment. So I'd love to see a change in approach. I think if we do it, we might have to accept that we might see a less effective Sam Smodic. We might see some different patterns of play, not as easy on the eye and all those types of things. But the goals against, you know, when you look at the results, three at, um, four at Southampton, three at Sheffield Wednesday, four at West Brom, two at home to Rotherham, two at home to Cambridge, two away at Huddersfield, uh, three away at Huddersfield, sorry. You know, these are, it's, it's damning stuff. So something has to change and something has to give. And when you have got a young crop of players, they need something to change. They need to do something different. They need to feel that, okay, the effort that they're putting in is resulting in something on the pitch. So I would be changing something if I was the manager. I will go back to a previous point I've made on this pod, though. I don't think JDT knows how to do it. I think it's against his core principles as as a manager. I think he is fundamentally a front foot manager, which is why we've seen the rebirth of JD uh, of JRC. Sorry. It's why we've seen Sam Smodic get the goals he has. He's using these players. He recognises the talents that they've got and he can use them in a really creative way on the pitch. That is JDT's mantra. To It's a bit like the Kevin Keegan approach, we'll score more than you. It's essentially that. That is his approach. He's not so getting results. No, exactly. And Kevin Keegan found out some of that as well, didn't he? So I ultimately don't think JDT knows how to be a Neil Warnock that's that's it in a nutshell for me I don't think he knows but he's got the players to do it you're telling me we can't get a creative and um, we can't get a defensive shape out of a back five of Pickering Wharton Higham Carter Britton, Tronstad Garrett Travis when we had him Smodic, Gallagher when he's back it's probably the left. You know, Siggy in that instance is probably a bit of a luxury if you're trying to tighten it up. We'll put someone yeah, who will work I, hard I think if you, you went
0: to a 5 three, 2 I don't think Sigurdsson gets in. I think you're looking at smodix and Gallagher, hopefully up front. JRC at right wing back, Pickering JLC, or Chris yeah. JRC or Chris Senny at, uh, uh, sorry, JRC at right wing back, Chris Senni or Pickering, left wing back, so, Scott Walton, Domheim, Hayden Carter. Hopefully they sign another centre-back because they bloody well need to in terms of depth as much as anything else. I think, let's go to January. I've not got a lot to say on this, but obviously the club have rejected a bid for Sam Gallagher last week, well, they did reject a bid for Sam Gallagher last week, which is interesting, from Ipswich Town. Gallagher has got six months left on his contract. He is Blackburn Rovers' highest earner, um, and the club have the option to extend his terms on the current deal. By a further twelve months, if they should wish. So he's he's out. Still, he's out of contract this summer because the club haven't activated that clause yet. But they can activate it if they want to. But it will be on the same existing terms he's on at the moment, which are quite high. Um, Ipswich have offered, um, have made a permanent bid for him. It got rejected. Didn't meet Rover's valuation. I don't know what that valuation is. Nor what the exact bid was from Ipswich, but I know that a bid's been knocked back. There was reports from the PA that there was two bids, one of one million, one and one and a half million pounds. Um, I've been told by a good source that there's been one bid, but I don't know exactly how much it was for. And it, it, you know, it's really interesting with Sam Gallagher, isn't it? Because I think there's two ways to look at it. I think he undoubtedly, Blackburn Rovers are a better team with Sam Gallagher in it. The stats back that up as well as the eye test. And certainly since he's been gone, I think that also has strengthened that that opinion and that that narrative that they're a better team with him in it. I think there's also a, a viewpoint where if they could get one and a half, two million pounds for Sam Gallagher, who's on a lot of money, um, mm-hmm. who's very injury prone and has a maximum of 18 months left on his deal, that's pretty good business. But the problem is, can you use it to replace him? Can you buy someone better or as good as Sam Gallagher for that money and for that amount on your wage bill? And that's where the doubt is with Blackburn Rovers. Is it? It's not necessarily that Sam Gallagher is indispensable, but he's indispensable if you can't replace him because he's still their best centre forward. And that, for me, is is the question mark around this deal, if it is to go through and if Ipswich are to come back with another offer. Because Jono Thompson is not going to be very happy if they sell Sam Gallagher, particularly if they sell Sam Gallagher and bring in a Samir Tellefitch type, ill hit the roof. Like they, he's already said that in his press conference on Friday that they can't make the team weaker. So I think you can't sell Gallagher no matter what the finances are, unless you've got a much, you know, you've got something that is an upgrade or at least on par. That's maybe a bit younger, got a better fitness record, and got still got a track record of scoring goals in the championship. If you haven't got that on the table, you can't sell Gallagher, in my opinion. Albeit if they got offered. One and a half, two million pounds. I'd be very, very tempted to take it. I have to be honest, because of the track record and those sort of things, rather than him as a player. There's also interest in Nilenis on loan, which we've reported um, earlier this morning, as we record on Monday. Um, Bolton, Barnsley, and Blackpool, the three Bs, they're all interested in taking him on loan for the rest of the season. He wasn't included in the matchday squad on. Saturday, out of choice, Um, for anyone who's wondering why there was eight subs and Ennis didn't travel, Pickering was in in line to start all week, did all the shape, was meant to play and threw up on Saturday morning just before they got on the coach. So that's why they had eight subs because Pickering literally threw up about 10 minutes before they left. So that's why they had to rejig the system. Um, I think it was going to be Pickering at left back and I think Callum Britton would have played on the right wing and Moran was going to play in the middle, so Garrett wouldn't have played. Uh, So they did have to to rejig everything in that sense. So that's why there was eight subs. So Ennis didn't play. He did play for the 21s on Sunday, um, missed a penalty, and it hasn't worked out for him so far. And if he's currently fourth-choice striker, and ideally I think we'd all like them to still sign another one, then it doesn't really make sense for him to be sat not getting minutes and maybe he can go out, play some regular football, score some goals. He scored 14 in League One last year and maybe he comes back. I don't know if that ha- if that happens. It's all a very fluid situation with the transfer window at the moment, as particularly with outgoings and ingo- incomings. Um, certainly nothing is imminent as of time of recording, so uh, certainly Ennis is not going anywhere anytime soon. But it's certainly one to watch maybe over the next fortnight or so as Rovers try and get their business in, whether that deal could be done there. And as I say, rejected one bid for Gallagher. No one's been back yet. But if Ipswich were to make a second offer of significant standing, it would be interesting to see what they would do in that situation.
1: I mean, every player has a valuation. Um, so... For Sam Gallagher, with the length of contract left, obviously, if they hit that valuation, I think, yeah, 2 million is making me think, yeah, okay, what are we going to do with that? Um, That's certainly making me think. And actually, if we boil this down to wages, uh, how prolific he's been, and I would say value for money over the money that we've spent over the course of his contract, then that's probably leading you towards a path of sell Gallagher. But actually, I'm with you. I wouldn't be selling Gallagher at this stage unless that valuation is is ultimately met Um, because I think we've got to recognise a few key things that are going on at the moment. One is that experience on the pitch. Talalovic, Ennis and Leonard need help. They need support and the rest of the team needs help and needs support as well. Um, I urge all Rovers fans when Sam Gallagher is back to just ignore some of the goals, as important as they are, just look at his work rate on the pitch um he occupies full backs he's a nuisance he works really hard and that counts for something that's stuff that goes unnoticed on a football pitch
0: and sam gallagher is
1: big from set pieces as well and the set pieces as well so he brings so much to the table in that and one thing that obviously was very evident on Saturday against west brom was how small we were in comparison to them so sam gallagher helps with some of that um the other thing uh, that I'll touch on with all these issues going on with Venkis at the moment, with the cash flow, all of those things. Who are we getting for 2 million that is as good as Sam Gallagher, as experienced as Sam Gallagher, can hit the ground running like Sam Gallagher when he's back from injury, knows the club like Sam Gallagher, all these things. I fundamentally just don't think we can afford to get rid of him at this point in time with all the off-field stuff going on because I just don't trust what comes in behind so it's a risk on our part. Um, you know, it's we're essentially passing up the opportunity to cash in because I suspect what we'll do in the summer is trigger that option. Uh, with everything that I've just said, that is still applicable in the I don't summer. I you know.
0: I still- so just with the amount of money he's on, I don't know.
1: I just think that these variables I'm talking about, they're not going away in the summer and I'm just not sure who we're getting. Mm -hmm. And we're certainly getting out-competed by other championship clubs if we make our interest known. So I've just got this feeling that we'll trigger the option in the summer and then we might have to accept that it's another person that we lose on a free. You know, Sam Gallagher is just another one out of that crop. Brereton-Diaz, Lenihan, Rothwell, Nyambi they're in that crop of players that for whatever reason we've not been proactive on the contracts. so when they're up they're up and we can't cash in so it's a two million pound question isn't it Elliot you know do we have someone here the injury record aside someone who knows the team who we know can at least contribute and help us over the next season and a half or do we cash in now and look extremely light in those attacking areas you know we've got Ennis, who has not done it for me, and I would be loaning out to League One if we keep Gallagher. Leonard, who is a young lad who we need to be patient with and give time and support. And Alavich, who, you know, it's probably next season and beyond for him. So it's a big risk to cash in on Gallagher at this point in time. I hope there's some rabbits up the hat, uh, in the hat, Sorry. I hope this thing's up our sleeve. I can't even get the analogy right. I hope there's something <laughs> out there. The <laughs> I don't,
0: I've
1: lost it. I've lost it. All right. But I, I hope there's something there. I hope Greg and the recruitment team have got their eye on something that they think, actually, with that two million, we can go and push that button there. Um, but for me, I'd be keeping Gallagher because I, I just ultimately unless greg as, as i say has got something up his sleeve i just i don't trust what's coming in behind sam gallagher with the current variables and restrictions that we've got on this side
0: yeah i think if it was as straightforward as they could sell him and we know that money would definitely get reinvested to bring in someone of the same quality maybe a bit younger better goal record return perhaps then i i'd be more inclined to sell him because i don't think i i, I think I think a million and a half, two million pounds is a good valuation. In my opinion, This is, I don't know what the club's valuation is. This is my opinion. I think if someone offered me two million pounds for Sam Gallagher and I knew I could replace him for the same sort of money and the same sort of wages or spread that, you know, maybe slightly lower wages, but spread it across the pitch. So you could get another loan or so. I think I would, I would sell him personally. I think it's a fair offer, but I just don't know what would. Co- As you say, that we have no trust of what will come in behind because all that's come in in the last six months have been unproven players, free signings, or teenagers on loan. And if they sold Sam Gallagher and bring in a twenty-two-year-old that has no never played in the championship before, and is a, a project, they don't. They just can't do that right now. So that that's that's where I stand on it anyway. Um, Let's look ahead to the weekend. It feels a long way away right now on Monday, but they will play Huddersfield at Ewood Park, the first of four home games in a row, including the Wrexham FA Cup tie. It's a really winnable game and it's a chance to stop the rot. If they keep conceding goals, they're not going to do that. And I I don't mean to be disrespectful to Huddersfield either when I say that because they did beat Blackburn Rovers 3-0 literally three weeks ago. But Huddersfield are one of the poorest teams in the league. I expect them to get relegated, if I'm being completely honest. And we've got this, if they can't get the, you know, you look at the games they've got coming up at home. They play Huddersfield, they play Stoke, they play um, QPR and Wrexham. If you can't get your season back on track with those four games at home in a row, you've got big, big problems.
1: Absolutely right. You know, this is a crunch point of the season. Uh, We've been reflecting on the layer upon layer of problems that have been happening for this side since the heady days of Rovers 4, Birmingham 2, when the world was lovely, because that result followed a 3-0 away victory at Stoke. When the world was lovely, (laughs) it's been layer upon layer of issues and problems that have come our way. And they're staring us in the face now and it all absolutely came to a fruition on Saturday against West Brom. So you're absolutely right. The three league games, I mean, I'd love an FA Cup run as well because I think it's an income stream for us <laughs> first and foremost. So we need all the money oh, we man. can get. So we need to be getting past Wrexham and, and get into that next round to get as much money. But those three league games, um, seven points for me is the minimum uh, to maybe stop any fears of, of relegation. I think we can stop the season spiralling out of control. We can stop the fan base spiraling out of control. Um we can stop the the young lads in the squad spiralling out of control in terms of confidence if we can pick up a healthy seven points from those three home league games that that you've mentioned there. And you're right, they're three opposition, particularly Huddersfield and QPR that on paper are perfect opposition to play to get your season back on track, particularly with the away records and and the way that they've been playing this season. But they're not going to be easy games. Our home form has been fairly average, below average this season, hasn't it? And we've really struggled to impose ourselves at Ewood Park. During this run of form between December and January, um, we've not given the fans much to shout about. Teams have been able to come to Ewood Park and, and really hit us um, in the belly and and obviously um, and get some results that he would park as well. So they are not foregone conclusions. But JDT, as much as he was sat on the bench against West Brom and not looking like a proactive figure and someone who was very apathetic, we've got to have the exact opposite at home to Huddersfield, at home to QPR, because there is a danger with those games as well. Because I think most fans are thinking and hoping that we're not in a relegation battle now lose those two games and with the other results that might happen, we could be closer to that relegation zone than than we might want to be. And we've seen this happen with Hull when they got relegated to League One last time. Really mm. high in the table like we were, spiral out of control. Of New Year's Day. Exactly that. So this has happened to teams before. So we should not sit here and say, oh, we're ten points off the relegation zone. It can't happen. It can happen. And if we're leaking goals the way that we are uh, our goal difference will start matching the sides that are down there as well. So, Well, there's um, only three teams with a worse goal difference than Blackburn already. Precisely that. Precisely. So we should go into those games positive. We should be excited about those games. As you say, home games are your bread and butter in the Championship where you've got ma- the majority of fan base, you can make it an atmosphere, all those types of things. But I tell you what, the Rovers fans don't have much to shout about at the moment. So there's a real onus on Rovers... In that game against Huddersfield on Saturday, we've got to start on the front foot. Something similar to Watford, that atmosphere was great. I know it was fans' takeover day, but that felt quite special in the first half. In fact, we had a nice crowd, a nice vibe. We took the lead. We were looking really good in that first half. Something was similar. To needed until to the last 15 minutes. Exactly that. Exactly. So it's just got to be a game. And, and I've said it before, I'll take three 1-0s off three backsides of any Rovers fans choosing. I don't care. One of them can be Niall Ennis's backside, if you like. But three 1-0 wins would be great, but two wins and a draw just to stop the rot, remove those relegation fears and somehow start planning really for next season or indeed an unlikely playoff push, which is very unlikely.
0: Yeah, they need to start building some confidence. In terms of the team, I, I think Ainsley Pairs, I think it's time for him to come back in personally. I, I haven't been I haven't always felt that Ainsley Pair's performances have been great this season. He was particularly poor at Ipswich um, and he's rightly come under some criticism this season. However, I think it is unsustainable for Leopold Walstead to stay in the team because he just keeps giving goals away after goal away and it's not good for him either or his you know, mental health and everything in between. He just needs to come out of the team. So I think Ainsley Pair has played... Played ninety minutes on Tuesday, last Tuesday for the twenty ones. Played ninety minutes on Sunday for the twenty ones. I think he will come in and I would start him. Gallagher, could you get an hour out of him? Maybe he played half an hour. <laughs> Typical Jon saying that him and JRC might do ten or fifty, uh, might do five or ten minutes, and they both get chucked on for half an hour at um, at West Brom. Could he do an hour? Could JRC do an hour after another four weeks worth of training? Maybe who knows. Um, otherwise it's going to be very much the same sort of team because they haven't got anyone else. Um, Hedges is going to be towards the end of the month, so there's no one else coming back any. Well, within the next couple of weeks, so we'll see what they can do. But yeah, I think Pairs comes in, and and can you get an hour out of Gallagher and JRC maybe?
1: Uh, and just before I reply on that, Smodic and Pickering, will they be back for Saturday? Oh, of course, yeah. Smod- Smodics,
0: yeah. Smoddich's comes straight back in, obviously. And Pickering should be, yeah, uh, they, they're both just ill. So, they should both be fine. Yep.
1: Perfect. Uh, well, Saturday was not the game for Ainsley Pairs to come back because, you know, tough game, regardless of everything we've just reflected I on. today. Tough game for, for Ainsley Pairs' first game back. But this is absolutely the game for him. We've seen enough of Walsh that now... He's been in the firing line, he's made some bad errors and now is the time to bring Pairs back. And, and a home game against a side lower down in the division is is a perfect game in that sense for for him to be coming back. And I just hope for, if he is back, I just hope for him that it's a fairly no-frills performance. I think if he can just come in, potentially keep a clean sheet, look solid enough, give the Rovers fans confidence, I think that'll go a long, long way to calming some Rovers fans down. And, and indeed, it will help the defence as well. So Pairs back, Pickering back, Smoddich back. Uh, with the injury records of JRC and Gallagher, I wouldn't be starting them on Saturday. I think we need to be gentle with them. I'd maybe be targeting the Wrexham game uh, to start those two, to get them back up. Um, but essentially, yeah, it's it's a fairly similar side. So yeah, Pairs and goal, Pickering I mean, Carter and Hyam, with everything we've reflected on,
0: you I could say I one of them go, deserves dropping. I,
1: I, I think Higham and Scott Wharton for me. Yeah. I think, Carter, uh, I think Carter
0: Carter's only not started when he's been available once this season and that was against Hull and that was obviously mm. partly due to a quick turnaround after Boxing Day. I, I think that I would go with Scott Wharton and Dom Hyam I think.
1: And with what we saw on Saturday against West Brom and some of the other things we've spoken about previously, um, Scott Wharton would be able to count himself very unlucky if he didn't start the game. And actually, you know, I think I hold it's myself... probably the best in...
0: defender when he's been fit over the last month.
1: Mm, and I probably hold myself guilty in this regard. If Scott Wharton makes the mistakes that Carter and Hyam did on Saturday, I think there's more noise about Scott Wharton than the noise that there is about Carter and Hyam at the moment. So oh I my. think that... Scott Scott Wharton would be able to count himself very unlucky if he doesn't start on Saturday. I think it'll be Carter and Hyam because I think JDT likes them. But I agree with you that I would be dropping one of those two for for the way they've been playing. Uh, Britain right back. Tronstad, I think Garrett deserves to retain his place for the way that he played. And, And then obviously Smodic just in front. Where does that leave Adam Wharton? Maybe an impact sub in the second half if it's not quite going the way that we want it to. Um, and then Siggy Morin and Tilalovic I'd go for. I think um, with with how Harry Leonard looked on Saturday,
0: I'm so like apathetic about who starts on the right wing and who starts up front because I don't like any of the options at the moment. <laughs> they just outperform, <laughs> aren't they? Like it is just like chuck three balls in the air and see which one lands as to who starts up front. Um, Gallagher aside, because obviously he's getting himself fit, but like it wouldn't shock me if it was Callum Britton on the wing and JLC at right back. If I'm being nice, because I don't think Morin's done anything at all in the last month because again he's just a young lad that needs a break and he's just been ineffective for the last six weeks or so so I don't know about the re- I'd be interesting to see how training goes and things like that but certainly I expect to see pairs I think in goal and I think we'll obviously have and pickering back as well prediction Ryan?
1: I think it's going to be 1-0 Rovers I think pairs coming you back re- is-
0: you have listened to the entire podcast we've done right about not being able to defend and you're you're going to predict a clean sheet.
1: I am. I, I think Pairs coming back is going to count for something. Um, I would really do. you have do. said
0: that four months ago?
1: <laughs> well, quite, yeah. It's it's the rebirth of, of Ainsley Pairs in that sense. But I do think it's going to count for a lot. I think it's going to be a confidence boost for the defence. I think it's going to be a confidence boost for the fans. Um, so I think Pairs coming back will count. I'm going to say 1-0 Rovers. Um, would not surprise me if it's 0-0. Through to like the seventy fifth minute, something like that. But I fancy Rovers to get it over the line eventually. Long I think note. they'll win. I think they'll win as well.
0: Maybe blind faith as much as anything, but I don't think they can defend. So I'm still going to say they'll concede. But I think it'll be two one Rovers because they can score goals. This team with Sam Smollett's back leading the line. And that marks the end of this week's Arte Labore podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Make sure you follow the Lancashire Telegraph at Blackburn Rovers and check out the site for the most comprehensive Rovers coverage you'll get this season and throughout the January transfer window. If you do want to support local journalism, you can subscribe to a, um, to a subscription and get a better reading experience with fewer ads, subscriber-only content and plenty more perks, go to the LancashireTelegraph.co.uk slash subscribe, and you can get a monthly or annual subscription. We're going to have a lovely feature um, later on the week for our subscribers only, which I'll not give too much away on, but certainly worth subscribing for for later in the week. Uh, Thank you for listening as always, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of Arte Labore.